a gull above her circles, pauses in its rising flight, and releases what it carries and lets the thing plummet and crack. It is, she knows, a razor clam, or maybe a mussel, or oyster. The parking lot has been littered with shells, a white glaze of shattered, dropped shellfish, and there are only two cars. Joanna drives past, a brand-new Volvo station wagon complete with baby seat and snowshoes waits at the edge of the path to the beach. A fisherman's truck stands idling there also, and the man inside raises his hand. She waves back. It's the thing to do. But parks at the end of the lot. There, smoking, she stares at the bay. This day it's green and wintry wind-roiled with ice in its foam. She rolls her window open and hears the crackling tide. The sound, Joanna tells herself, is like a cocktail shaker's, the salt and sand and wave spume all freezing and mixed in together. No ships are on the water, no line at the horizon's edge beneath a glaucous sky. This is her lunch break and time to be private, holding the smoke she inhales. The winter has been long. It's February 10th. Ice and snow have settled in, and she feels the way that clam would feel if it knew itself caught in the gull's outstretched beak and ready to be dropped. Last night had been a good one, or as good as she expects to have, with Harry the lodger appreciative and the spaghetti in her homemade garlic and pesto sauce cooked just the way she liked it, and both of them, as he put it, lubricated by wine. I'm feeling lubricated, he said. I'm just about feeling no pain. Joanna had lit candles and the lanterns in the dining room. She was wearing her blue Toreador pants and the white Mexican peasant's blouse with the red embroidery, and Harry called her his flag. What's that supposed to mean? Red, white, and blue, he told her, and they clicked glasses and kissed. He could be sweet when he wanted, and last night he'd wanted to. So after the salad and ice cream, they went upstairs to his room. The whole house is hers, of course, and in the middle of a February cold snap, there are no other paying guests. But it excited Joanna to be in his room and not on her own sleigh bed with the cat and bills and unwashed sheets. She took better care of his space, since, after all, Harry rented it and expected fresh laundry each week. So they were getting down to business, his mouth a mix of pesto sauce and cigar smoke and that Pinot Noir she'd ordered two cases of for Christmas, and still had three bottles of, his arms about her leg on leg, when the telephone rang in the hallway and, after two rings, ceased ringing and then began again. This was her signal from Leah, and she knew she had to answer because her daughter only called that way on the private number when she needed help and meant it. Oh, lover, breathed Joanna. Wait, I'll be right back. He could be a bastard when he wanted, and last night... He'd wanted to while she got on the phone. It was Leah in trouble, big surprise, who has taken lately to calling herself Artemisia because, 
Artemisia was an artist, a painter in the old days when young women weren't supposed to paint, and who'd been raped for her presumption, or so the story went. And since 15-year-old Leah is into nose rings and tattoos, this year she likes to think her name is Artemisia, Art for short. Mom, the car's out of gas, she said, and I'm up here in Truro, and there's no gas stations open, and I need you to come up and get us. Us? Me and Stacy and a couple guys. I'm busy, said Joanna, because Harry was behind her now, his hand on her ass and his pants off already. And when Leah Artemisia said, But Mom, it's cold, he reached over and pulled out the cord from the plug and the phone went dead. And so she was caught in the middle again. The rock that is Harry, her lodger, and the hard place, that's her daughter. By the time she'd wriggled out of it and finished...